Welcome to the Fully Alive Man podcast. This is a podcast to help men become fully alive by doing life together. My name is Robbie Engel. I get to work at North Point Community Church with groups here with my co-host and friend, Lee Roy Rogers, who works with men's groups here at North Point. How are you, Lee? I'm doing good, Robbie. Who is this podcast for, Lee? This podcast is for men who are doing life together, men in groups, men in men's groups. Married groups, men's groups. groups, guys who are intentional, doing life together. We hope this becomes content for you to discuss, to think about, to become more fully alive men. And today, I am super excited. We have our boss... And friend, one of the most impressive leaders I've ever worked for, and he knows me enough to know. Author, all around great guy. I, I, we're not brown nosing here. He, he, hey, hey, you're not. You're not in yet. Not your turn yet, Clay. We're we're bringing you into this. Clay really is a phenomenal leader. I've worked for him personally for about seven years now, and uh, I'm super excited to have him. He is the lead pastor of North Point Community Church, and he has also written a book. How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, which has sold more than a couple. There was something about Audible, Clay. You got like to the top, but then you didn't. Uh, Audible. <laughs> somebody at Audible likes this book, which oh. is awesome. And they made it their daily deal. They choose a deal every day. They drop the price way down, and then they email it to all their people, which are millions of Audible subscribers. And so this particular day that they did this, it was I think it was the week of Thanksgiving, it was just before Michelle Obama re- released Becoming. Mm. And so they're typically their daily deal does really well. But And this one did do really well. It got all the way up to number two, oh. but it couldn't overtake Michelle, Michelle and Obama. It's not, and it's not going to. <laughs> no. It's not going to do that. Stealing the Grammys yeah, and stealing, stealing the, the Grammys spot. and stealing number one on Audible. Her book wasn't even released at that point. So. <laughs> Man. Well, anyway. Well, we are super excited to have you. And the topic is fascinating. It's... It's that none of us are really in leadership at the top. We, we're not the CEO. And even if you're the CEO, you have a board or of advisors that you're and shareholders that you're accountable to. If you're the lead pastor, a lot of times you have elders. None of us are truly a standalone, isolated leader, except maybe some dictator. I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah, that's Kim the Jong-un, outlier. Right? <laughs> Kim Jong-un <laughs> right. might not be the book for you, but for <laughs> right. everybody else, right. uh, how do we lead out when in different positions, some with more authority, some with less. I read it and I loved it. So I'm super excited to get your insights today. But first, let's take a step back real quick. And Lee, talking about leading, when you think back, when has been a time where you've led somebody, somebody's followed you, good or bad? I'm not going to assume more good or bad in your life, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go... So I'm going to step back just a little bit, get a little lighter on this one, but this is what came to mind when we were thinking about this. I remember last year... On a, Jeez. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> no, no. This is last well, year. We're getting there. <laughs> last year, I was on a fifth grade field trip with, with my yeah. son who's in fifth grade. So there we are sitting at the Alliance Theater in downtown Atlanta waiting for the a Christmas carol to start and we are about 45 minutes early mm. so that this ginormous mm. theater the seats can fill up with other elementary school kids. And so we're sitting there we're bored the kids are getting rowdy and so we just decide to see 
if we can, we didn't use the word influence. If we can influence other kids to do, to do things. Mm. So me and the, the five kids sitting next to me, we just start pointing up and in a direction <laughs> to see how many people we could do it. Everybody looks a few minutes later, we let it calm down. We give it the old <laughs> just to see who will clap. And people are clapping all over the place. That's it awesome. was fantastic. We did about five different tricks and then one of the teacher chaperones was like, Mr. Rogers, could you sit down, please? <laughs> could you control yourself in trouble? Yeah. Among fifth graders, you're the one yeah. that gets called out it by a teacher. It was amazing. We had That's a fitting. lot of influence that day. We, let up. we let up. We let up. <laughs> we let up. <laughs> when I, you asked me this question, and I was thinking, I've only been spelunking, caving like four or five times in my life, but every time you go caving, there's one guy in the group that is the leader i.e. the craziest, most like not safe dude. Because, you know, when you're a mile or two deep in the underground and there's like like five different ways, it's that guy that's like, let me go check out that one. He's like, come on, guys, follow me. Yeah. And you either end up like hyperventilating stuck in a crevice <laughs> yeah, right. or you get through and you're like, I found it. I found the way. And it's like this huge, beautiful cavern that this tiny little hole leads to. And... Last time, Bo, you're out there. Bo was leader. I mean, he had the map. He was like the guide. We spent about four hours hiking in. Then we were hiking out and we were hiking. We passed this like rock formation and then we passed it again after about three hours. Oh, that's and it was this moment feeling. where it was like, you're not leading anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I, we don't you know have what made to do. it very clear. You don't know where you're going. That's right. Bo led us in a circle somehow miles under and we got, wow. it was that moment of panicky. Um, yeah. But caving, I mean, it's the sketchy, which is not good that the sketchiest person in caving is usually the one to lead the way and everybody follows because they're the one out first. We should have a plan for caving leadership. Maybe that's yeah, another podcast. I'm yeah. I'm Special out. podcast, a real niche podcast <laughs> for, for spelunking leaders. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I can see that soaring to the top just below Michelle. Hey, it might. It might. That would be following Robbie into an unfruitful initiative. Clay, can you think of? Well, you said fifth gradely, and I went all the way back, not as a chaperone, but as a fifth grader. (laughs) Yeah, Um, of course you did. I I got spanked in public school Mm. by the principal in sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Yes. Back uh, in the paddled. day, where did yes. you grow up? What state? I grew up in Alabama. Okay. And evidently in the <laughs> early 90s, that was still a thing. That's all. Awesome. I should have gotten- Was it near a woodshed? Did, <laughs> they did, did not take me up? out to the woodshed, <laughs> no. But in fifth grade, uh, that was my first taste of trouble. There was a tennis ball. This is the dumbest thing, but there was a tennis ball that we were playing with after school uh, or that we wanted to play with, but it got locked in our teacher's classroom. Mm. And the door was locked, but we had those, uh, it was one of those schools where we had the movable walls, the retractable walls. Yeah. And so we opened up the wall and went in her room to get the tennis ball. And I influenced Josh McElwain to go get it. I opened mm. up the wall. He went to go get it. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Josh. <laughs> it's, it's Josh right. Sorry, Josh, if you're out there listening. <laughs> uh, and we, the next day, got sent to the principal's office and they, they, the principal suspended us from May Day. Our fifth grade May Day. It's so hard. I thought it was a little That's harsh. Wounding. I thought it was a little harsh. We had to sit in the principal's office during the entire May Day. What's a miss- May Day? 
May Day is oh, yeah. like the like field, field day. Field day. Yeah. Yeah. Field day. Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. thing as field day. Do the day. little yeah. ribbons around the pole and stuff. Do the ribbons around the pole. I you mean, play just, tetherball, all kinds of team contests. Just think about it. the kids who want to play with the ball can't play on May Day. It's, it's uh, like doubly. The irony is very painful. ironic. Very painful. And that came yeah. up pretty quick for you. That's a pretty fresh wound yeah, still. Well, you say fifth grade, and that's where I'm going. <laughs> that's for sure. May Day. <laughs> I'm sure some other things happened in fifth grade. I don't remember. Don't that. remember that. Clay, I would like to speak on behalf of your principal and apologize for that wound. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks um, Robbie. You, that I don't know what gives you the right to speak on behalf of principals. I just feel like you need to. <laughs> this is not an approved men's group exercise that's happening right now. <laughs> All right, guys. So. Clay, we're going to jump into this, and I want to know first, what led you uh, to write the book? Give us some history, some context, um, other than your fifth grade wounds of May Day, <laughs> right. as to as to what, right. what led you to write this book? Yeah, I, um, I've i always been interested in leadership. I think I always wanted to be a leader ever since, uh, ever since I was a kid. I've always had it in me to want to, uh, I think it's probably, there's something deep within me that wants to make a difference, that wants to... Um, make an impact on other people. I think it's what led me to ministry to feel like, you know, this is a, uh, feels very worthy or noble to feel like you're helping people in life and potentially affecting people's eternities. But um, the idea of leading, I just started discovering the longer I got, the deeper I got into my career, the more I started realizing that I was believing something that wasn't true about leadership, mm-hmm. that you had to be in charge in order to lead. And I don't think anyone ever uh, overtly said that to me, but I just realized I was believing that because um, I, I was just pl- I was blaming whoever was in charge of they're not doing enough, or I was uh, using it as an excuse, using my lack of authority as an excuse to not do what I felt like I needed to do. So um, this. I don't know. It hit me one day. You know how life works. Sometimes you just realize it. Have you ever, I, I compare it to, um, have you ever had one of those days where you realize you, you start worrying that you smell? Have you ever had where you're like, have I worn this shirt before? Does it yeah. smell? Yeah. Is it me? And then, and then everywhere you go, you're trying to, you know, like, yeah. kind of snip. Is this me? You know, that that's what it felt like. It was like, oh my goodness, I have an odor. There's mm. something about me that's not right. And how long have I been uh, perpetuating this or carrying this. And what I, th- what I realized that I believed was this lie that I was basically waiting to be in charge in order to lead. When the truth is, um, if we all know leaders who are in charge and aren't leading well, then there are people who are not in charge and are doing great things. And there's loads of examples, but if it's true that you don't have to be in charge in order to lead, then especially the, the, if you believe the definition that leadership is influence, then you can have influence even when you lack authority. So that idea, uh, it just was something that I started to think more about and then put the, you know, put the pen to paper and started to write a little bit about it and got some opportunities to talk about it a few places and eventually it turned into a book. My hope in writing it would be, or my hope for anybody who would read it would be that you would be able to drop into any situation at any level uh, whether you're an intern, middle-level manager in any organization, and you would be able to make a difference, that you'd be able to push your way forward. As you got into that and started reading and thinking and writing more, how, how transferable are the things you learn to environments of leadership outside of professional leadership? Uh, I think it's true. I think the principles are true, period. And I think it I, you know, one of the most surprising places I've found application is in a family life, because as a as a dad, 
it's so easy for me to play the card of authority. You yeah. know, I think about Will Ferrell and that Saturday Night Live sketch where he's, you know, sitting at the dinner table, banging the dinner table, being like, I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> Listen to me. I am very important. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, as, a, as a parent, you try to play that card of authority, which obviously when your kids are preschoolers and even sometimes in elementary school, you need to do that. But the older the kids get, the more damaging the authority card is to play that a better way to approach parenting is to approach parenting through influence. Mm. You're trying to build a relationship so that you can have influence with them so you don't have to wield your authority like it is some sort of weapon to try to get them to do what you think they need to do. So yeah, I think there's application in loads of different areas of life. Obviously, as a pastor, I wrote the book, uh, obviously for just the people in the church world, but that's been probably the most fun part is the... Um, I've had very few churches that have asked me to come and do anything on this book, but huh. it's been more corporations, more businesses, more, uh, secular organizations. The The book is built into four primary sections. Four behaviors. Four behaviors. Yep. What's the first behavior that you unpack in your book? Yeah. So what I did was I basically asked the question to myself of what am I doing to cultivate influence and what am I doing that's costing me influence? And in response to that, I wrote down here are four things that I know I have to do. So I'm, I am clearly, I am no, uh, I, I don't claim to be a leadership expert. I feel like a leadership imposter. I'm not trying to be the next John Maxwell, but I really believe deeply in these four behaviors. Um, and the first one is to lead me, mm. that that's my primary responsibility as a person who's trying to cultivate influence is to lead myself. And the greater you lead yourself, the greater you will be able to be led and the better you will lead others because you can steer a racehorse, but you certainly don't want to try to carry a racehorse. And if you can decide today that the most important leadership opportunity I have, I'm not in charge of, I might not be in charge of much, but I can still take charge of leading myself. That's the best place to start. Clay, what do you think it was for you that, I mean, obviously you thought it was important and there's a need to write it down, but what do you think was in between you and leading yourself? Why didn't you just automatically do that? I don't think I realized how much it mattered, I think, to start with. I think I, you know, it's in all of us to get grumpy about our boss and to go, well, I'm not being led well because my boss is what? My boss is micromanaging me. My boss suffocates me. My boss doesn't pay attention to me. I don't know that my boss knows my name. I don't know where where your boss falls, but it's just so easy to blame. So I just think I I undervalued how important it was not to have a great boss, but instead to lead yourself really well, whether you have a great boss or not. I think I misappropriated the uh, weight of how important it was. And I think when I started, the more I've started realizing how important it is to lead myself really well, the more uh, I feel like the more steps I've taken to start doing that in a better way. Well, how do you do it? Yeah, what, what does that look like? I heard a quote a couple of years ago that said, when everyone else in my life is telling me I need to change, it's easier for me to think they're wrong than it is to actually change. Hmm. So I think there's something in us that just resists doing what we know we need to do even though we know we need to do it. I mean, maybe it's back to what Paul said in Romans, that why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I need to do? I mean, if we were all better governors of ourselves, then we would all, we wouldn't need Jesus in a way. But 
there is something really surprising about how difficult it is to lead ourselves because we all know at a very foundational level, no one can lead you better than you're leading yourself. And until you decide to lead yourself well, you're never going to be well led. I remember being probably 16 and I wanted to get swole, yoked, you yep. know, oh, I wanted yeah. to get large. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like that's like still you are now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's obviously happened. And <laughs> I asked my dad for a set of weights and he said, it is a really smart move on his part, but he said, hey, I'll do this. Uh, it's the beginning of summer. Why don't you do push-ups every day for the summer? And if you awesome. do them, I'll buy you a set of weights. I did the same thing and I'm still, for my 13-year-old. Really? That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. I'm still waiting on, I'm still waiting the, on weight, the weights. The weights aren't going to make you strong. <laughs> no, they're not. It's, leading it's yourself. The leading yourself to do the push-ups. It's is almost like even just choosing to lead yourself well. That's, we're leading ourselves somewhere. You, that's a great point that you are, even in your apathy, you're leading yourself somewhere. Yeah, and it's almost like we, I don't know, just as the, with the example of the weight set, it's not, it's not somebody else that needs something, and it's not a thing that we need to do. It's that choice that I'm going to lead myself, or I'm going to pay attention to, like Paying you were attention. saying, Clay, that thing that just keeps coming up, that odor. Yep. What is that? What yep. is that frustration in me, and what mm. can I do? Yep. That's good. I think that paying attention part is a really big part, because the, I, I just know in me, it is so hard to be brutally honest with myself about yeah. what's really going on. It's easier to just blame others. And, and this is what happened for me professionally is I was, you know, instead of going, Hey, um, why don't you work harder on the outline? I was blaming others for, I was blaming the curriculum writers for not mm. writing it good enough. Mm. And it's just easier to blame somebody else. It's easier to say, Hey, it's my parents' fault or it's my kid's fault or it's my wife's fault or it's my boss's fault than it is to actually take charge of owning what I can own. You've got a lot of people that you lead here at North Point Community Church. What does that look like when you see that done well in someone that works for you? It's the person that is unafraid to take initiative and do what they think needs to be done, not in a rebellious spirit. So Mm. it's still under authority and Mm. in humility, but it um, it is a determination to say, I'm going to move forward and whether I'm well led or not, I'm going to look in the mirror and try to figure out how to help myself get better. Um, Robbie, you get somebody called me recently about a job on your team that they're evaluating. And they said, um, they said, hey, I'm I, I'm interested to know what is it like working with Robbie? So I was giving them some, you know, the good and the bad. And all, just kidding, all the good. And they said- You didn't uh, give them the bad? <laughs> I gave them the truth. Okay. That's what I gave them. And this person said, you know, I asked Robbie about whether or not he was open to take feedback. And he said, I have a very strong vision of where we're going. But if I hear someone with a different plan, I feel like I am open to weigh that plan as to whether or not it works. Mm. And this person accepted that as a a good answer. I thought it was a great answer because you're basically saying, I know where I think we should go, which is that's part of leading yourself is finding a vision for your future, Mm. deciding where do you think God is leading you, crafting your own opinions about life, but then also an openness and a humility to go, hey, but I'm willing to evaluate whether or not what, uh, whether or not this plan is right or not, but I'm not going to just sit back and be apathetic 
and sit on my hands and go, well, I'm not in charge, so I'll just wait for somebody to tell me. Um, when you do that, you're doing, you're, you're basically asking your boss to do her job and your job yep. or his job and your job, it, which is, is the, not helpful. Is the flip side of leading yourself passivity or fear? What, what, what is the other side look like? I don't know. I would say, ap- I would say it's apathy. I'm mean, huh. to your point, Lee, that I yeah, think it's just not, I would say it's not asking the question. It's ignoring yourself and finding a way to hold everyone else responsible for what you're not doing or what you're, yeah. you're not getting. Andy, uh, in a series years ago, Andy said, blame is our way of smuggling our problems into the future. <laughs> I mean, that's such a great word. I know. That's awesome. I think that's put that in your book. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) I think that's that's what to me what apathy or blame or shifting the responsibility is. It's just this like disgustingly gross way of smuggling those problems. That's so good into the future. But at some point along the way, you've got. I I do think you're right, Lee. That it's choosing. You've got to make a decision. Am I? I'm I'm tired of waiting on mm. the best boss ever mm. or the perfect boss. And the truth is you're never going to have that boss, but I'm going to do everything I can do in this life to make sure I lead myself well, which takes a courageous amount of humility and um, a lot of ruthlessness to eradicate the pride that wants to tell everybody else that they're wrong. That's so good. So in the context of doing life together, being better by doing life together, men in groups, what should we be asking each other? How do we, how do we start this conversation? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I love Jeff Henderson's question that he uses, that he's, he's taught, our, I think well, there was a weekend where he taught our, our whole church this, but what is it like to be on the other side of me? I yeah. mean, to ask your group, hey, I, ne- I need some honesty, because the truth is you got to figure out where you are. That's the most important part of leading yourself. Most people, most people do a better job of knowing where they want to go than knowing where they are. And that you are here star on any map is the most important piece of information because you can't get to where you want to be until you know exactly where you are. So I would, it's the beauty of group. I would leverage your group to help you figure out exactly where you are. Um, The truth about your life is that the most important decisions specifically about your career, but about your life as well, will probably be made when you're not in the room. And so you may as well know what those comments are about you. You may as well know what people already know about you. It does you no good to not know. And so to leverage your group in humility to say, hey, help me learn about me. What is it like to be on the other side of me? I picture groups all over our community being lovingly honest with each other for the betterment of each other. That would be a beautiful, fantastic like, thing. Like help me gain awareness. Help me gain yeah, awareness. I can't gain it on my own. I can't. It's impossible to. And so help me gain awareness so that I can lead myself better. You know, I did a, um, when I was leaving Brownsbridge to come to the job that I'm currently in, I sent out this simple little questionnaire. I said, give me, tell me three things. Tell me something that I did that inspired you. I sent this to the 50 people that worked there. Tell me something I did that inspired you. Tell me something I did that bothered you and tell me something that you think I don't know about myself. That's awesome. And it was, uh, it was brutal. There were some really positive things that they said. I remember none of them. But and you what, said, I'm out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, what I learned was is I am not as present in meetings as I need to be. And I'm not as prepared for meetings as I need to be. And I used to think that, well, I can think quick on my feet and my 
uh, personality can overcome my lack of preparation. And they basically were saying, no, it can't. It can't can't and it's not. That's awesome. And so that that was a huge season. The awareness, the the, uh, oh no, I smell. That awareness allowed me to go, okay, well then I need to make some changes. I need to... I need to carve out some time to start preparing. I need to figure out a way to be more present in meetings. I need to ask myself some self-regulating questions to help myself manage my time better, which that is lead that's what self-leadership really is. But it doesn't come until the awareness comes. And and again, the context of all this is it would allow you to cultivate more influence. Yeah. You would be the kind of person that people would say, "Hey, we got to get him in on the meeting." Yep. If we're going to have that meeting, we wouldn't want to have it without him Man, because awesome. he's he's already learning and he's already growing and he's already moving forward. Clay, that value of leading ourselves is enough. We should wrap up, but we've got more. But first, before we go to the more, this is the tease. This is the cliffhanger. You're going to have to wait for a section we like to call <laughs> Man Hacks. Lee, what is a man hack? A man hack is something you can do to make your life better or easier. Um, just a couple of Tips and tricks we've picked up along the way or learned from each other to improve life. Guys, I got to be honest. I am an avid listener to the Fully Alive Man podcast. And other than the wisdom from the woods, this is my favorite segment. Really? Yeah, I really. hear that a lot. So I, I, have, I have my whole seat right now, but I, I'm only using the edge of it. <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready? I think are you geared I'm ready. up? All right, Clay, I, I dedicate this man hack to you. This is what I've got, guys. This is what I got for you today. So my wife and I, first year of marriage, we took uh, foster kids camping for weekends, week-longs. It was You've already care. lost us, but go ahead. So in the That's woods- It's more incredible than what most of us <laughs> did the first year of marriage. That's right. Stick with us. Stick with okay. us. Stay on the seat. So, all right. So first year of marriage, Emily and I took uh, foster kids uh, camping on weekend and week-long trips. And when you've got kids in the woods sleeping in sleeping bags- they're either too hot or too cold. And it, it, for people out there camping, here's the tip and the trick for what to do when it's cold out and what to do when it's hot out to sleep well. First, it's cold. In Georgia, in the winter, you're out there, it's 34 degrees. You get into your 40-degree sleeping bag and you are about to enter into the longest night of your life. But wait, <laughs> take your Nalgene bottle, heat up some water over the fire, pour it into the Nalgene bottle, stick it in the bottom of your sleeping bag, And that will be Mm. toasty enough for you to, it'll last about half the night, just radiating a little bit of heat. I mean, but then again, I've never taken foster kids camping either, so (laughs) still time. So if it's cold, you're camping in a tent, get a Nalgene bottle, hot water. In the summer, here's the trick. When you're going to sleep and it's hot, nasty, humid Georgia and you're sleeping in a sleeping bag, dip your head in water, put some water in your hair go to sleep. The coolness of the water on your hair and the pillowcase will last about half the night. And just that cool factor will help you sleep like a baby. You are welcome, world. Water is the key. It's the mm, key. To climate control it. camping. Use That's it what's as your up. friend. Lee, what you got? All right, this is what I got. Mine's also kid-related. You guys have kids, so you might need this if you don't already know about it. Kids love to get the temporary tattoos. Put them on their arms, yeah, put them all over. My seven-year-old kid has got one on his neck right now. <laughs> he looks like he's gangbanging. Toughest kid in the world. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you need to get it off. You're going to visit grandma. You don't want to have a neck tattoo on your child. <laughs> and it's hard to scrub them off. You can wear right through the skin. This is what you do. Take some scotch tape, put it over the tattoo, rub it in pretty good, and then just rip it off. 
wherever that tape was, will leave a clean place on your child. Wow. I've done it many times. Really? It takes off just a smidge of hair, which is part of the fun, but it takes the tattoo off. Now, it's I got awesome. a question, Lee. Robbie's got a tattoo of his first girlfriend just above a different kind of tape just <laughs> lower back tattoo if he uses tape will that get that off <laughs> all right guys we hope that was valuable this section we like to dedicate to clay the fan of the man hack these are for you clay we hope you use them and for everybody out there that's it for this section we like to call yeah. man hacks let's jump back in clay to lead yourself as a first principle in the book is a game changer, that's enough for us to take away. The second one's more of an attitude, a posture. Yep. Unpack it for us. What is the second behavior on leading yourself when you're not in charge? Sure. The If the first one is to lead yourself, your second uh, most important responsibility is to choose positivity. And I got to be honest, uh, when I first, um, I, I, I put this outline together, I sent it to a friend of mine that I work with. He sent me, an email back and said, Hey, um, in general, I like it. I think this is going to be helpful. Um, the positivity thing feels a little bubble gum hmm. and I've never forgotten that word cause hmm. I've never used that term to describe anything. Uh, but I, I know what he's saying. It feels soft. It feels, um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's rooted in something that has a lot of weight to it. Hmm. Just and, like, be happy. Yeah. Just be happy. <laughs> right. Right. But the truth is that, Positivity, it really is rooted in hope, and hope is a powerful, powerful virtue to really believe deeply that life is not as bad as it could be, to believe deeply that God controls all things, to believe deeply that uh, you are not a victim to your circumstances, but you do have the power within you to rise above your circumstances. All of that, to me, helps bring a little bit more... Uh, weight to what could be something that feels like just uh, a Pharrell song, just right. to be happy. So Kathleen Edelman shared uh, the color thing at church the other day, and you're a yellow, right? Mm-hmm. High, so is this yellow. easy for you to say? It My temperament does lean toward being more positive, yes. I do typically reframe things as positive. Uh, um, I assume there's some guys listening going, yeah, that's nice because you're yellow and you're positive yeah, exactly. and optimistic. Yeah. I'm a realist, Clay. Yeah, exactly. So what, what about... I would just say um, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's any less important just because it's easier for some. I mean, gotcha. there are still challenging times in my life where it's difficult to reframe things as positive. Hmm. Um, what I've just learned, though, is that the most important thing I bring the team that I work with is not my education or experience or talents or ideas. The most important infectious thing I bring is my energy. And at I know here for our organization, we want people working here feeling like what I'm working on is the most important thing in the world. Hmm. Because what's the opposite? You know, that you walk around going like, meh, it's just okay. Um, I really want, I want to be so in with what I'm working on that if I were to go take another job, people are shocked by that. Hmm. That they're going, wow, I never, you know, because again, what's the alternative? That people go, yeah, he wasn't ever really all in. Like we, we kind of knew he was kind of half in, half out. Um, I was talking to a, a friend of mine named Shane Todd who manages the Chick-fil-A in Athens. And Shane said, I want every person that works at our store to think that what we're doing is the most important thing on the earth. And I thought, Shane, you're selling chicken. Like, how's that? That can't be true. But he goes, well, what's the opposite? You know, is just to have people that are working there that are not excited about this. If they can't get excited about it, they need to go do something different. And, and, And I think that really is true. Now, the hardest part is that 
You might work in a job that doesn't feel purposeful and you've got to figure out how to find purpose in that job so that you can choose positivity about what you're working on. And that is possible. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you're selling chicken or if you're, if you're, you know, cleaning up a building or if you're painting or if you're a doctor in a hospital, uh, there is so much v- importance to what you're doing today because you're affecting people's lives and the way you interact with them. You're bringing the hope of Jesus and you're the hands and feet of Jesus today and those people's lives. And so there is a ton of purpose in what you're doing. The other thing I found is that there is someone somewhere with a worse job than me mm. that is happier about their job. This is convicting mm. to me because I, I, I uh, just left a meeting where I feel like I did not do this. And to hear you saying this is one of the key components to choose positivity, to leading when you're not in charge, and to being a leader, which is an, I want to be a leader. And I just left this meeting where I, I don't feel like I was choosing positivity. But in the moment, it felt like I'm being objective and, mm-hmm. and, and trying to help people see things. That's a real tension, which I feel like I just failed. And I have had plenty of those same situations, Robbie. And I think what I have just had to convince myself is that when I, when I can catch it, mm-hmm. I try to catch it and just remember, hey, the goal here is to help people change mm. or to help people see the world the way I see the world or to help people get behind the idea that I think is most important. Mm. And that's not the goal in life. But in most meetings we sit in, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people to see it the way I see it, because I think that's the way we ought to do it. And the best way to do that is through hope filled, forward thinking, optimistic, can do positivity. I really believe that's true. And until you can find that, I don't know that you're ready to gain the influence that you're going to need to be able to push the idea forward. That's really good. Yeah, that's huge. So just just to recap for for me, the reason to choose positivity is to gain more influence. I mean, that sounds self that sounds selfish to say it that way, but yeah, that's what this whole thing really is about yep. is hey, if you're going to lead from the position you're in, you're going to have to figure out how to cultivate influence. And cynicism and negativity do not cultivate influence, but ultimately positivity does. Yep, no matter how good those things can feel in the moment. So I think, I'm thinking right now through the context of men's groups, married groups, because we have a, a principle on one hand to be fully known by a few, to trust each other, be fully known. So that's the place where I bring a lot of my struggles to the guys and uh, in, my, in my group to process. But if, how, do I, how do I manage that realness of how I feel in a safe space while at the same time having a leadership principle for the sake of influence for the guys and just to be life-giving because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. And so I want to, I am attracted to people and I want to follow people who do choose positivity so that I believe that's true. How do I weigh that with being real and being open or wanting to change? Yeah, I don't, I, I think this is helpful, Robbie, because what I, what I'm not saying is to be inauthentic to what you're really feeling to Um, blow sunshine. Yeah. I was doing this. I was doing this talk in front of a group of, uh, virtual assistants Mm. and uh, they happened to all be in the room at the time, despite their profession. And this lady over to my left, she, I'm in the middle of talking about this and she just blurts out. She goes, that is so inauthentic. Uh. And I remember thinking, honestly, it kind of knocked me back. It's kind of like, um, have you ever been helping your kids? I was doing this the other night. I was trying to teach my daughter how to multiply fractions. 
and I was doing it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, have I been multiplying fractions wrong my whole life? Um, I started questioning everything I've ever done in my life. That's how I felt in that moment with this lady going like, oh no, have I been tr- perpetuating inauthenticity? And I think what what you have to do in that in that moment, if that's you, you're saying you're coming to the group tonight yep. and you're not feeling real positive about your job or about your marriage or about your life or your circumstances, whatever. I think what you have to do is you have to do what all of us have to do in plenty of other areas of our lives. And that is we have to learn to be authentic to a, to a, a more broad value or a higher value. Mm. And that is that my, the way I live tonight, the way I operate, the way I behave, it affects the climate of the group. And so I can either get real frustrated and at all my circumstances, have a bunch of self-pity and get real down on my life, or I can go into this group and say, I'm going to be genuine. I'm going to talk about my life, but I'm not going to let the fact that I didn't get a good night's sleep or the fact that my boss just had a really unfair conversation with me affect our group tonight i'm still going to i'm going to be authentic to a more powerful value which is my behavior affects other people that's that's what choosing positivity is really about and it's not about being inauthentic to what you're really feeling you can tell people how you feel yeah but you can do it in a hope-filled forward-thinking optimistic can-do attitude if the next two are as good as these first two then I'm pretty excited. Guys, we're going to continue this conversation with Clay for the next episode on the final two postures and behaviors on how to lead when you're not in charge. You are not going to want to miss it. Uh, But before then, we are going to wrap up and leave you guys with a few minutes of wisdom from a friend of ours, a guy that we look up to, John Woodall, in a section we like to call Wisdom from the Woods. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament written by Paul, it's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Simple verse, four parts, and it calls us uh, just to be better men, better husbands, better fathers. But I was thinking about this last part of it called be strong. A lot of guys have perceptions about what a strong man is. Uh, What is a strong man? What is a strong man of God? But a couple of questions I would want you to think about today is, as as a boy or as a teenager, what were your early messages about being strong? Did you grow up in an environment where the father said, don't be a sissy, don't act like a girl, stop crying about it, stop whining. Somebody called the wambulance. What were the messages that you got about being a strong man? You know this, that many men find their strength in their personality, in their pursuits, in their portfolios, their possessions, their positions. We're tempted to do that. But the thing I'd like us to think about is what God says and what he sees in a strong man. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, in his mighty power. So my question to us today is in what do you find your strength? 
Do you consider you're a strong man because of uh, who you are or what you have? Or are you finding more and more that you're finding your strength from God in his power so that you can face whatever we're facing today, whatever's coming your way, your marriage and your relationship with your children, something at work. I encourage you guys today to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Think about that. Guys, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And as always, we hope this is a beneficial conversation starter to talk about with guys in your men's group and your married group. Feel free to share this with your friends, put it on social media, subscribe, like it. And as always, we hope it tees up conversations where you can say, what does this mean for me personally? What am I going to do about it? And how can we help each other as men to become men who are more fully alive and leveraging the relationships to do that in our life. Thanks for listening. This has been fun as always. Lee, Clay, this was great. We'll see you next week for part two of the conversation with Clay Scroggins.